Okay, welcome back to another episode of the Edward Mullen Podcast. Last week, if you tuned in, I discussed my hero, the great, the powerful, the wise Socrates, his trial. And as we learned, it didn't quite go his way, despite compelling arguments. So this week, what I'm doing is reading the Crido, which is the next dialogue of Plato uh, in a chronological sequence after uh, Plato's Apology. So after Socrates' trial in 399 BCE, he was sentenced to death, and he's been locked up in a jail for a month. And his friend Crido, who is, uh, has considerable wealth, comes to persuade him to, to leave, to break out. And they debate back and forth whether or not that's a good idea. So Crito starts out by saying, My dear Socrates, listen to me now and be saved. If you die, it will not be a single misfortune for me. Not only will I be deprived of a friend, the like of whom I shall never find again, but many people who do not know you or me very well will think that I could have saved you and I didn't. I was unwilling to spend the money. Surely there can be no worse reputation than to be thought to value money more highly than one's friend, for the majority will not believe that you would not save yourself if given the opportunity. And then Socrates replies, My good Crito, why should we care what the majority think? The most reasonable people to whom one should pay more attention will believe that things were done as the way they were done. And Crito responds, You see, Socrates, one must pay attention to the opinion of the majority. Your present situation makes that very clear. The majority can inflict the greatest evils if one is slandered among them. It will not require much money to save you and get you out of here. My money is available and I think it is sufficient. So as I say, do not let the fear make you hesitate to save yourself, nor let what you said in court trouble you, that you would not know what to do with yourself if you left Athens, for you would be welcomed in many places in which you might go. If you want to go to Thessaly, I have friends there who will greatly appreciate your company and keep you safe. Besides, Socrates, I do not think what you're doing is just, to give up your life when you can save it and hasten your fate as your enemies would hasten it. Moreover, I think you are betraying your sons by going away and leaving them when you could bring them up and educate them. You thus show no concern for what their fate may be. They will probably have the usual fate of orphans. Either one should not have children, or one should share with them to the end the toil of upbringing and education. You seem to me to choose the easiest path, whereas one should choose the path a good and courageous man would choose, particularly when one claims throughout one's life to care for virtue. I feel ashamed on your behalf and on behalf of us, your friends. The fact that your trial came to the court when it need not have, the handling of the trial itself, and now this absurd ending, which will be thought to have gone beyond our control through some cowardice and unmanliness on our part, since we did not save you or you save yourself when it was possible and could have been done if we had been of the slightest use. Consider, Socrates, whether this is not only evil, but shameful, both for you and for us. There is no further opportunity, for this whole business must be ended tonight. If we delay now, then it will no longer be possible. It will be too late. Let me persuade you on every count, Socrates, and do not act otherwise. And then Socrates says, My dear Crito, we must therefore examine whether we should act in this way or not. As not only now, but at all times, I am the kind of man who listens to nothing within me, but the argument that on reflection seems best to me. Now that this fate has come upon me, I cannot discard the arguments I used previously. I value and respect the same principles as before, and if we have no better arguments to bring up at this moment, be sure that I shall not agree with you, not even if the power of the majority were to frighten us with threats of incarceration and execution and confiscation of property. So, how should we examine this matter most reasonably? Would it be taking up your first argument about the opinions of men, whether it is sound in every case that one should pay attention to some opinions but not others? 
I am eager to examine together with you, Crito, whether this argument will appear in any way different to me in my present circumstances, or whether it remains the same, whether we are to abandon it or believe it. I said it on every occasion that one should greatly value some opinions but not others. Does that seem like a sound statement to you? And then Crito says, it does. Then Socrates says, the good opinions are those of wise men, and the bad ones of foolish men, right? And Crito says, of course. Then Socrates says, should a man professionally engaged in physical training pay attention to the praise and blame and opinion of any man, or to those of one man only, namely a doctor or a trainer? Then Crito agrees with him. He says, obviously a doctor or a trainer. And then Socrates reiterates, he must then act and exercise, eat and drink in the way the trainer and the one who knows thinks is right, and not all others. And Crito says, that is so. Socrates says, very well. And if he disobeys the one, disregards his opinion and praises while valuing those of many who have no knowledge, will he suffer a harm? Crito says, of course. And then Socrates says, well, what is that harm? Where does it tend? And what part of the man who disobeys does it affect? Then Crito answers, obviously the harm is to the body, which it ruins. Socrates says, well said. So with other matters, not to enumerate them all, and certainly with actions just and unjust, shameful and beautiful, good and bad, about which we are now deliberating. Should we follow the opinion of many and fear it, or that of the one? If we do not follow his directions, we shall harm and corrupt that part of ourselves that is improved by just actions and destroyed by unjust actions. Or is there nothing in this? I think there certainly is, Socrates. Okay then. If we ruin that which is improved by health and corrupted by disease by not following the opinions of those who know, is life worth living with a body that is corrupted and in bad condition? Crito says, in no way. Then Socrates says... And is life worth living for us with that part of us corrupted that unjust actions harm and just actions benefits? Or do we think that part of us, whatever it is, that is concerned with justice and injustice is inferior to the body? Crito says, not at all. Socrates says, is it more valuable? Crito responds, much more. Socrates then says, we should not then think so much of what the majority will say about us, but what he will say who understands justice and injustice and the truth itself. So you are wrong to believe that we should care about the opinions of many about what is just, beautiful, good, and their opposites. And in regards to what you stated earlier, that the many are able to put us to death, examine the following statement in turn as to whether it stays the same or not, that the most important thing is not life, but the good life, and that the good life, the beautiful life, and the just life are the same. Does that still hold or not? It holds, Socrates. Okay, so as we have agreed so far, we must examine whether it is just for me to try to get out of here when the Athenians have not acquitted me. If it is seen to be just, we will try to do so. If it is not, we will abandon the idea. Agreed? Agreed. Okay, as for those questions you raised about money, reputation, the upbringing of children, if it appears that we should be acting unjustly, then we have no need at all to take into account whether we shall have to die or stay here and keep quiet, or suffer in another way, rather than do wrong. I think you put that beautifully, Socrates but see what we should do. Okay then, let us examine the question together, my dear friend. And if you can make any objection while I'm speaking, make it and I will listen to you. But if you have no objection to make, my dear Crito, then stop now from saying the same thing so often that I must leave here against the will of the Athenians. I think it is important to persuade you before I act and not to act against your wishes. Okay, I shall try. Wrongdoing or injustice is in every way harmful and shameful to the wrongdoer. Do we say so or not? We do. So one must never do wrong? Certainly not. Nor must one, when wronged, inflict wrong in return, as the majority believe, since one must never do wrong. That seems to be the case. One should never do wrong in return, nor mistreat any man, no matter how one has been mistreated by him. 
and there is no common ground between those who hold this view and those who do not. So then consider very carefully whether we have this view in common and whether you agree, and let this be the basis of our deliberation, that neither to do wrong or to return a wrong is ever right, nor is bad treatment in return for bad treatment. Or do you disagree and do not share this view as the basis of our discussion? I have held for a long time, and I still hold it now, but if you think otherwise, tell me. If, however, you stick to your former opinion, then listen to my next point. Then Crito says, I stick to it and agree with you. Then Socrates says, Okay, my next point is this. When one has come to an agreement that is just with someone, should one fulfill it or cheat on it? One should fulfill it, Crito says. Okay, see what follows from this. If we leave here without the city's permission, are we mistreating people whom we should at least mistreat? And are we sticking to a just agreement or not? Crito says, I cannot answer your question, Socrates. I do not know. Okay, fine. Look at it this way, Socrates says. If, as we are planning to run away from here, or whatever one should call it, the laws and the states came and confronted us and asked, Tell me, Socrates, what are you intending to do? Do you not by this action, are you attempting to intend to destroy us, the laws, and indeed the whole city? Or do you think it is possible for a city not to destroy itself if the verdicts of its courts have no force but are nullified and set at naught by private individuals? What shall we answer to this and other such arguments, Crito? Shall we say the city has wronged me and its decision was not right? Yes, Socrates, that is our answer. Okay, what if the law said this? Was that the agreement between us, Socrates? Or was it to respect the judgments that the city came to? Come now, what accusations do you bring against us in the city that you should try to destroy us? Did we not first bring you to birth? And was it not through us that your father married your mother and begat you? And I would say that I do not criticize them. So then Socrates says that you must either persuade the laws of the city or obey them and endure in silence whenever it instructs you to endure. One must not give way or retreat or leave one's post, both in war and in the courts and everywhere else. One must obey the commands of one's city and one's country, or persuade it as to the nature of justice. What shall we say in reply, Crito, that the laws speak the truth or not? And Crito says, I think they do. Then Socrates says, The laws give every Athenian the opportunity, once they have reached the voting age and have observed the affairs of the city and the laws, to proclaim for themselves, if the affairs of the city and the laws do not please that person, he can take his possessions and go wherever he pleases. Not one of our laws raises any obstacles or forbids him from doing so. If he is not satisfied with us or the city and wants to live in a colony somewhere else and keep his property, then he is free to do so. However, for those of us who remain, after seeing how we conduct our trials and manage our city, we have come to an agreement to obey its instructions. So, Socrates is basically stating we have a social contract, like an implicit contract with the city by uh, being raised in the city and being the benefactor of its laws and, and the benefactor of its nurture. If by the voting age you are still there, then you've implicitly accepted the rules and the laws of the courts in the city. And if you don't like them, you can leave and none of the laws prevent you from doing so. So he says... It is wrong to disobey, and one who disobeys is wrong in three ways. First, because he disobeys his parents, also those who brought him up, and because in spite of his agreement, he neither obeys us nor, if we do something wrong, does he try to persuade us to do better. The city does not issue savage commands to do whatever we order. We give two alternatives, either persuade us or do what we say. But what you're suggesting, Crito, is that I do neither. The people might then well say, Socrates, we have convincing proof that we in the city were congenial to you. You have never left the city even to see a festival, nor for any other reason except military service. 
you have never even gone to stay in another city as people do, and you have no desire to know another city or other laws. This is evident that we and our city satisfied you. So decisively did you choose us and agree to be a citizen under us. Also, you have had children in this city, thus showing that it was congenial to you. Then, at your trial, you could have assessed your penalty as exile, if you wished, and you are now attempting to do against the city's wishes what you could then have done with her consent. Then you prided yourself that you did not resent death, but you chose, as you said, preferred death to exile. What do we say to this, Crito? Must we not agree? Then Crito says reluctantly, We must, Socrates. Then Socrates continues, Surely, they may say, you are breaking the commitments and the agreements that you made with us without the compulsion or deceit, and under no pressure or time for deliberation. You have had seventy years during which you could have gone away if you did not like us and if you thought our agreements were unjust. You do not choose to go to Sparta or Creed, which you are always saying are well-governed, nor to any other city, Greek or foreign. You have been away from Athens less than the lame or the blind or the handicapped people. It has been exceedingly clear that the city has been more congenial to you than to other Athenians. And so have we, the laws. For what city can please without laws? Will you then now stick to our agreements? You will, Socrates, if we can persuade you and not make yourself a laughingstock by leaving the city. For consider what you will do yourself or your friends by breaking our agreements and committing such a wrong. It is pretty obvious that your friends will themselves be in danger of exile, disenfranchisement, and loss of property. As for yourself, if you go to one of the nearby cities, Thebes, Megara, both are well governed, you will arrive as an enemy to their government. All who care for their city will just look at you with suspicion as a destroyer of the laws. You will also strengthen the conviction of the jury that they pass the right sentence to you, for anyone who destroys the laws can easily be thought to corrupt the young and the ignorant. Or, will you avoid the cities that are well-governed and men who are civilized? And if you do this, will your life be worth living? Will you have a social intercourse with them and not be ashamed to talk to them? And what will you say? The same thing you did here? That virtue and justice are man's most precious possession, along with lawful behavior and the laws? Do you think that Socrates would appear to be unseemly kind to a person? One must think so. Or will you leave those places and go to Crito's friends in Thessaly? There you will find the greatest license and disorder, and they may enjoy hearing from you how absurdly you escaped from prison in disguise. Will there be no one to say that you, likely to live a short time more, were so greedy for life that you transgressed the most important laws? Possibly, Socrates, if you do not annoy anyone, but if you do, many disgraceful things will be said of you. You say you want to live for the sake of your children, that you may bring them up and educate them, but how so? Will you bring them up and educate them by taking them to Thessaly and making strangers of them? You might say, yes, your friends will look after them. Will they look after them if you go and live in Thessaly, but not if you go to the underworld? If those who profess themselves as friends are any good at all, one must assume that they will. Be persuaded by us who have brought you up, Socrates. Do not value either your children or your life or anything else more than goodness, in order that when you arrive in Hades, you may have all this as your defense before the rulers there. If you do this deed, you will not think it better or more just or more pious here, nor will any one of your friends, nor will it be better for you when you arrive yonder. As it is, you depart, if you depart, after being wronged not by us, the laws, but by men. But if you depart after shamefully returning wrong for wrong and mistreatment for mistreatment, after breaking your agreements and commitments with us, after mistreating those you should mistreat least, yourself, your friends, your country, and us... We shall be angry with you while you are still alive, and our brothers, the laws of the underworld, will not receive you kindly. Knowing that you tried to destroy us as far as you could, do not let Crito persuade you, rather than us. Be assured that these are the words I seem to hear. 
and the echo of these words resound in me, and make it impossible for me to hear anything else. As far as my present beliefs go, if you speak in opposition to them, you will speak in vain. However, if you think you can accomplish anything, then speak. Then Kratos says, I have nothing to say, Socrates. And Socrates finally says, Very well, let it be then, Crido, and let us act in this way, since this is the way that God is leading us. And there you have it, the trial and the death of Socrates, um, after which, if you don't know, he drinks hemlock, which is uh, a poison based on a plant, and uh, it kills him. And there's a famous painting called The Death of Socrates, which was commissioned in 1787 by Jacques-Louis David, and he's sitting speaking to uh, a room full of obviously grief-stricken disciples who are sharing the last moments of this man's life. And one of them is seen reluctantly handing Socrates this chalice, which is filled with poison, which is undoubtedly going to kill him the moment he drinks it. So yeah, it's just a really unfortunate ending to uh, a great man's life. But thankfully for Plato, or thankfully for us, Plato wrote down uh, these dialogues so we can enjoy them. And uh, we can still learn a lot from from Socrates today. We can uh, learn a lot about thinking critically and uh, not thinking you're smart or wise or or great when you're not. Um, we also learn that uh, you know not to really care about what other people think. And there's a lot of really other powerful lessons that we can get from these words. And um, not only that, but it's just really beautifully written, and it's you know you know it's entertaining. It's a, a very fun thing to read for me at least. Maybe maybe not for you, but I really enjoy this stuff. Um, there's a there's huge volumes of this stuff, so you know Plato's Republic is quite lengthy. It would take me hours to read it. I'm not going to go through that. There's um, the Protagoras, which is another dialogue which I really like. That one is pretty awesome because there's uh, another guy who comes to town who's an orator. You know, he's this guy who goes around charging absorbent fees just to hear him speak. And Socrates, this guy comes to Socrates as uh, home one day. He's like, oh man, this guy's in town, uh, the protagoras. You, you got to hear him. You got to challenge him to see if he's wise. Socrates is like, all right, let's show me where he is. So it's kind of another Batman-y moment. It's kind of like, you know, this guy's think he's wise and Socrates is like, well, I'll take him out, whatever, show me him. And Socrates goes there and he battles this guy in like challenge of wits, essentially. And there's like, you know, five of his friends kind of jump in and they're all trying to get Socrates and like a ninja, he deflects all of them and makes them all look stupid. So that's, that's pretty awesome. That's one of my favorites. Uh, there's this symposium, which is really good, quite long though. There's tons of good ones. If you can, if you're looking for something really good to read, really fun, really interesting, thought provoking, pick up the complete works of Plato and you will be entertained for days. So that's all I have for this week's podcast. Thank you for going on this journey with me, listening to the words of the great Socrates, a.k.a. Plato, a.k.a. whoever. Hit me up on Twitter, follow me on Facebook, read my stories, tell your friends. All right, thanks for listening.